Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we begin by singing our praises to God together. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh, praise Him.
moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was set. The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, His blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon Him. One final breath He gave, on that last day, the Son of God was made in darkness. I'm glad all in the grave, the war on death was waged, the flower of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake, the storm was
Father, we thank you for the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you that he has overcome and that we live because Christ lives. We've gathered here today to worship you, to honor you, to offer our thanks to you. And we know that you're here with us. Be glorified in our worship. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Those who are here in worship today. Just one quick word, uh, tonight at 5 o'clock we are gathering for the closing celebration of our prayer vigil. There are still a few times open today if you want to come and pray between now and 5 o'clock and you can check online or uh, I know that there are some issues uh, last night and today with uh, internet service and things, uh, an accident, but uh, you, can, you can just write your name on a sheet down at the prayer room if you want to come today as well. But we hope you'll gather to come with tonight, 5 o'clock here, for uh, just a time of singing and sharing, praying together as we conclude our prayer vigil. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and uh, assist us as we give our tithes and offerings. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon Thee, and Thy beauty fills my soul. For by Thy transforming power, Thou joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Please sing with us. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavished all Trust in thee, Lord Jesus. I 
turn to our loving Father in prayer. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love poured out to us in Christ. Thank you that you call us in your love and mercy and in your grace to come and to rest in you. And to know the depths of your love and your goodness for us. Father, we thank you that over these past three weeks, as we have prayed together, as we have come and, and set ourselves apart, time to listen to you, to speak to you, to encounter you by ourselves and with others, we thank you that you have heard every prayer and you have answered in your infinite love and grace. We pray that as we continue to pray in the days and weeks and months ahead, that we will continue to know your grace and mercy working in each of our lives. Father, this morning we come and pray for your children who are in need today. We think, Father, of people who are grieving as we move into the holiday season, 
It seems as though our, our grief, the pain, the sense of loss is accentuated. We pray that you will send your comforting presence upon all who are grieving this day. And may your mercy and your presence of comfort and peace be upon each one. Father, we pray especially for Paul Young and his family, the death of his mother recently. We pray for Diane Emmons and her family at the death of her mother this week. And we ask, Father, for your grace upon them and all who are grieving. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. And we pray today for Vesta Mullen, for Tim Nichols, for Bruce Brenneman and Bill Roski, for Bev Retz, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Alton Shea, for Isla Shea and Dick Gould, for Edna Howard and Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar, and for others. We pray that you administer your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray today for people in Buffalo who have uh, dealing with the huge snowfall this week and now the potential for flooding. We ask, Father, that, that you will minimize the damage, that you will protect people, you will comfort those who are grieving, and that you will minister your grace in this difficult situation. And we pray for our world. We think of the people who are still dealing with the Ebola crisis, and we ask that you would bring healing in that situation. We pray, Father, for all who are wrestling and dealing with issues of war and violence, and we pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted and opposed in many in violent ways, and we ask for your grace and protection and courage for them. Father, we pray that you will reveal yourself in this world. And may the world know that you are God. And through your children, throughout the world, may people have hearts open to you. Father, thank you for all the ways you are at work in this world. And as we move toward the Thanksgiving holiday, fill our hearts with gratitude for who you are, for what you have done, for what you've promised to do. We pray all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and who has left us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Good morning. Please turn with me to the scripture reading today, found in Romans chapter 12. Following the scripture reading, children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for children's church, and there's no junior church today. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing.
You may be seated. In one way or another, those were some of the questions that you asked in relation to understanding God's will. People have been wondering about God's will for a long, long time. You go back to the book of Exodus, and you find that Moses is uh, spending a lot of his day helping people understand God's will. What is God's will about decisions that he's making and how to lead and how to live? And there is this sense of what does God want us to do? How, would God, how does God deal with this circumstance, this situation? And people have been wondering about God's will for a long, long time. And so it really wasn't surprising to me that this was one of the, the areas of questions that came up. What I find, though, is that when we ask that question... Part of the underlying current of that question is, I think, a skewed view of what God's will is about. I think there is something in the back of our minds that believes that God's will is intended to be confining to us. And part of that, I think, is because we tend to define, we tend to define our faith in negative terms. And there is something to that. I mean, your passage we read this morning, there's a lot of don't do this, don't do that. And, you know, a lot of, I mean, even go back to the Ten Commandments is, you know, don't do this, don't do that. But when we read the scriptures as a whole, there is much more of a positive emphasis than a negative. And when we read this passage in Romans 12, and Paul is talking to the Romans about how to live, he says to them, I want you to discern God's will, and he describes it as good pleasing, and perfect. And I don't think we always grasp that. I think we see God's will as difficult, painful, and a struggle, but not necessarily good, pleasing, and perfect. But you look at even what God says to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. Plans for success, not failure. My dream for you, my goal for you, he says to Jeremiah, is that to fill your life with good things. And Jesus, talking to his disciples in the upper room just hours before he's arrested, says, My purpose for telling you all of this and for being with you all these years is that so you will be filled with joy. That is God's plan for us. His will for us is joy. Now, that gets confused because we live in a world of pain. We live in a world of difficulty. We struggle. Things don't always turn out the way we would like for them to. And we often interpret that as God's will is leading us to hard, difficult things. But really, a lot of that comes back to what we've discussed on a variety of occasions of the fact that God gives us free will. We are created, God created a world that is about free will. He has given us the ability to choose because God has created the world in love. 
See, we have a tendency to think that the world is created for perfection. But God creates the world for love. Everything about the universe is created and designed out of a heart of love. All that God does is because he loves. God creates because he loves and he wants relationship with us. At the heart of everything he does is his love. And because of that, the only way you can have really have love and have relationship is if you have the possibility of rejecting that love. I mean, if you're in a relationship with someone and you love them because you have to, is it really love? Is it really love if someone has got your arm behind your back pressing you to say, love me, tell me you love me? Well, you tell them that, but does that really mean you do? It's only because we have the option to not love that loving takes on the significance that it is meant to. And relationships are designed about choice. We choose to love, not we're not forced to love. And God wants that kind of relationship with us. But that means there is the potential, the possibility that it's all going to fall apart. But you look back at, at all of what God has created, what he's done. When God creates human beings, he knows there is a high risk involved that they will reject him. And they do. God puts his hand on Abraham's life and says, I want you to be my messenger. I'm going to work through you. And there's a high degree of possibility that Abraham's going to say, maybe I'll trust myself. And Abraham does at times. And then God takes this amazing step and identifies himself with this ragtag group of people in slavery in Egypt. And he says, you're my people and I'm going to identify myself with you. Even though he's taken a huge risk that they're going to misrepresent him to the rest of the world. And they do. And eventually, God sends his son as the ultimate act of love. Recognizing that people may reject his son. And they do. And he ends up on a cross. But it's all about the building relationship with us. And ultimately, God believes that all that he does is worth the risk. To have a genuine relationship with people is worth the risk of us rejecting him misrepresenting him, misunderstanding him. And much of that comes back to our understanding of what it means to know and to do God's will. Now, there is, in a sense, when we talk about God's will, there's sort of a couple of different dynamics to that. There is the sense of God's general will, what God wants for everyone. And quite frankly, it's not that complicated. It's tough to do but it's not that complicated. God says, I want you to be like Jesus. Micah says that, uh, he says, this is what is required of you, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. I mean, that really summarizes what God wants for everybody. This is his general will that we would do this. When you get to the New Testament, you find that we begin to see that broken down a little bit more. And in this passage, even in Romans chapter 12, we have this whole long litany of things, beginning of verse 9, of how we are to live as God's people. And it basically centers around being obedient to God, loving God, loving other people. I mean, that's really what it comes back to. 
caring for people who are in need, forgiving people, not being arrogant, loving, caring, building relationships. I mean, all of this is, is bound up in what God wants for all of his people. That is his general will for his people. And it's, it's really not that complicated. It's just challenging to do. But in this general sense, and you can, I guess you could summarize it as, as someone was saying this week in, in, our, in our elders meeting, it really comes down to Jesus saying, follow me. Just follow me. And the general will of God is that he, we would be shaped into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But all of us are wanting to know, we get that, but how does that work itself out in the daily decisions of life? How does that work itself out in things like, should I take this job or that job? Do I go to this school or that school? Do I go to school at all? What career path do I follow? Who do I marry? Where do I live? All these kinds of decisions that we believe are wrapped up, that that God has a purpose and a design for us, and and that there, there is something about God's will in those decisions. How do we know that? I think there are some things that we can use, some resources God's given us to help us understand that. I think one of them is we use the gifts and the interests that God's put into our hearts. You look at the, again, in Romans 12, where he said, after he talks about knowing God's perfect will, he starts talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, look, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If your gift is encouragement, then encourage. If your gift is leading, then lead. In other words, he's saying, if you've got these gifts, use them. If you have this interest, do it. I think sometimes we, get, we complicate it so much. But really, God is saying, look, I've given you this gift. I've given you these desires. I've given you these interests. Do it. What you love to do is probably going to be what God's will is for you. So do it. If you fall in love with this person, marry them. If you like doing this kind of work, pursue that career. If you've always dreamed of of living in exotic places and it works for you, then go live in exotic places. Follow the interests and the the passions and the desires and the yearnings of your heart. That's a good thing. And that's one way to discern God's will for us. What brings joy to us? Where are our interests? I think also we just use our minds. We think. Sometimes we don't like to think. Thinking's hard. We'd much rather have somebody go to someone and say, tell me what to do, right? That's a whole lot easier. And then, of course, if it messes up, we can blame other people for it. I mean, people come to me through the years have come to me and said, I don't know what to do about this. What should I do? One time I told people what to do. They blame me for that for the rest of their life, I think. So I don't do that anymore. And the reality is, we just think. What makes sense? What fits? What works? What seems right? What, what, you know, what logically seems to be a good thing to do? And we think through it and we, we make, sometimes you make lists, but you just apply your thought to it. I think one of the reasons we hesitate to think, we don't like thinking, is because when we begin to think, then it, it allows God to start getting into our, into our minds and we start thinking about our lives. And often, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us about things in our lives that have nothing to do with the decision we're making. And so we try to avoid that. We think. 
I think we also need to use the church. Talk to each other. Bounce ideas off each other. Again, not to tell each other what to do, but sometimes just having a conversation with someone can clarify things. And I think we, we miss this gift of God that we have in the church and of community and relationship because often we're not invested with each other. You know, we, we think of church as this is a place I go on Sunday and I don't really do a whole lot else. I, don't, I haven't really built relationships with people. And it's pretty hard to have a serious God's will for my life kind of conversation with people that you really don't have much of a relationship with. So you, we use the church. We use the collective wisdom of other people. Sometimes just the questions that people ask us can clarify things for us. And we pray. It seems simple, but often we don't do that. We don't sit down and say, Lord, what do you want for me to do? And part of praying in this kind of, in this area of our lives is listening. Saying, Lord, I'm just going to sit in silence for a little bit and let your spirit speak to me. Prompt me. We pray. We ask for God's wisdom, his direction. And we use the scriptures. Let the scriptures lead us, guide us. Sometimes the scriptures help us because they they clarify that what we may want to do or, or the decision may actually be a little bit more of a right and wrong decision than we may think it is. There are some things that would be harmful to us spiritually. And so we need to be aware of that. And often the scriptures and prayer and sometimes conversations with other people can help us discern that. I also think the scriptures are powerful because they help us see what other people have done in trusting God. When you read through the scriptures, you find story after story after story of people who have come to a difficult place in life and they have waited and they have trusted, they have, they have, we've seen them risk for God, we've seen them trust God, we've seen them make decisions for God and watch God work in their lives. Not always easy, but they've done it and it can inspire us. Ultimately, it comes down to trusting God. Ultimately, we say, this is the best I know. I've thought, I've prayed, I've talked to people. This is what I feel is an area of interest. I've looked at the scriptures. I've done everything I know to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And often, our biggest problem is afraid, we're afraid to make a decision. And we need to just do it. Make the decision. Trust God. See, because if God really says, if God is really thinking, this is the absolute only decision that I want you to make, then we have to trust him that he's going to open doors or close doors to take care of that. And outside of that kind of clear direction, I think he gives us a lot of freedom. Now, the other thing I think we're careful about is we don't, don't judge the decision, the rightness or wrongness of the decision too quickly. Sometimes we do that. You know, we make a decision, it sort of blows up in our faces and think, oh, that must have been the wrong one. Maybe, maybe not. Sometimes God allows things to go that way because there are some things he wants to teach us and some ways he wants to work in our lives. I just realized I don't have this thing on, do I? That might be better. There we go. Mike's probably been trying to get my attention the whole morning. Yeah, I'll let that go. Um, 
You know, these thoughts come into your mind. You say, no, don't say that. Just let that go. God's will not to say that. That was clear. See, sometimes God's will is keep your mouth shut. So I learned, I'm learning that lesson. But, you know, we, sometimes we just trust God. And sometimes the decisions we make aren't about our lives. They're about other people. You know, when I was in high school, my parents made a decision to join OMS, become missionaries. And that meant our family ended up moving to Oregon from Indiana. It, it disrupted all, it disrupted my college plans. It disrupted my younger sister's plans. She was in high school. I mean, it was just a huge disruption to our family. But my parents were convinced this was the right thing to do. They lived out there for five and a half years. And I can tell you, it was the worst Five and a half years of my dad's life. He felt unfulfilled. He felt like what he was doing had very little purpose. He didn't see the results of it. He felt like that he would, he, I think he would have said in the moment, I'm not sure we made the right decision. And I know he second guessed that decision over and over again. But it was the best thing that could have ever happened for me and for my younger sister. And my dad will say, will say to this day, and he learned a lot of lessons, too, in the, looking back on it. But if nothing else, that decision was good for us, and so it was the right decision. See, I think sometimes part of the problem is we're afraid to make a mistake. We fear making a mistake. And I'm coming to the conclusion that if we've done everything we know to do about God's will, we can't make a mistake. I mean, if we're not, I mean, it's one thing we're talking about right and wrong, good and bad decisions. But we're just talking about some of these life decisions, and we've done everything we know to do, and we make a decision, we can't make a mistake. Part of me wants to say to you, I don't think God cares that much about some of these decisions we make. Now, I don't mean by that that God is disinterested in our decisions. They sit back, sits back and says, do whatever you want. I don't care. But I think he's not, but it's not, he's not in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh, I hope they make the right decision or everything's going to fall apart. Because sometimes we feel that way, right? I mean, that God's, God is up there thinking, oh, man, I hope that they make the right one. Because if they don't, man, we are in trouble. You know, it's like this cosmic, let's make a deal game. You know, we hope we pick the right curtain. Or it's a shell game where we hope we find the right ball underneath the cups. We we have this image that that God is saying, man, I hope this is the right one because they only got one choice. And if they mess it up, we're done. I don't think that's possible. If we're open to God, if we've done what God wants, then... If he wants us to make a specific decision, that's his responsibility to get us to that decision. Otherwise, we have freedom. And instead of fear about making a mistake, we need to just trust him. Now, I grew up a Green Bay Packers fan almost all my life. And we lived in Wisconsin. That was just sort of even entrenched even more. And the Packers have had their ups and downs. And this year is supposed to be a great year. They started the season, the first three games, they lost the first two. And people in Wisconsin were beginning to just go crazy. You know, fire the coach, yell at the players. There was just panic. And, you know, all the talk radio shows and Internet stuff, it was people were just freaking out that the Packers were one win, two losses, and their season was going down the tubes. And they were, they were having, they were panicking. 
And Monday, after they had lost their second game, Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, has a radio show. And he came on the radio show and he said, he's this kind of laid-back California guy. And he says, uh, all right, I want to, got something I want to say to all you fans out there in Packerland. I got five letters for you. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Relax. We're okay. We're fine. And he was right. They won six of the next, they're now seven and three. But I, when I heard that, I thought, you know, part of me feels like that's what God is saying to us. Just relax. You know, I, I, we're okay. Just, I, I want you to enjoy life. I don't want you to fret about life. I don't want you to live your life stressed and anxious about making the wrong decision. Just make a decision and I'll walk with you through it. See, it's as though we think there is some perfect decision that will have no negative issues with it. That we can just find the perfect decision and that nothing bad will ever happen if we make that decision. We find that golden decision and every life will be perfect. I don't know about you, but I've never found that decision. Because life isn't perfect. Stuff happens. There's always things to deal with. There is no perfect decision when it comes to this kind of stuff. And so rather than living in stress about it, just relax. And, and follow God's leading and, and do what your heart tells you. And keep being sensitive and open to God and walk ahead. The worst thing we can do is to, is to not make a decision. And that's what often happens. We get paralyzed about it. And I think a lot of it is because we're afraid to risk. And we're afraid to risk because deep down inside, we don't really trust God. I keep coming back to the parable in Matthew 25 of the talents, parable of the talents, where the master has three guys there and he gives one of them five talents and one two talents and one one talent. And the, the five guy and the two guy, they go and invest it and they take huge risks. You know, we sometimes think what they did was, was, you know, pretty safe. But actually, if you read the background of the story and you understand the context of it, it's, it's pretty much like they went and invested in the stock market. Anything could have happened. And the third guy buries his in the ground because he doesn't want to lose it. He's afraid to risk. And when the master comes back, he is effusive in his praise of the first two guys And not so much of the third guy. The third guy ends up in punishment. And the whole gist is, you didn't trust me enough to risk? You wouldn't, I mean, and he's not, he doesn't praise the first two guys because they made more. It's not success, it's faithfulness. It's their willingness to risk. Because they trust him enough that even if they failed... The whole point was, do something with what I gave you. And in some sense, I think the master would say to them, you can't fail if you trust me. You can't fail if you're willing to risk with me. And sometimes we just need to risk. Take a step and watch God work in it. And sometimes the things that we risk about that don't turn out the way we wanted are the times when God works in our lives in the deepest ways. 
But whatever we do, we're going to run into difficulties. Whatever decisions we make, we're going to run into walls and struggles and problems because that's life. But underlying it, do we believe that God's bigger than all of those things? That God can still work miraculously in all of those things? Do we trust him enough? In some ways, the real question isn't so much, what does God want me to do? As much as it is, whatever I do, will I trust God in the doing of it? Am I willing to risk? It keeps coming back to that. And see, we want a formula. We love formulas. Just give me a formula. I don't have to think. I don't have to pray. I don't have to try to process this. I don't even have to trust. Just give me a formula I can plug in and everything will be fine. But formulas are always narrowing and confining. And God's more interested in relationships than formulas. Formulas are are narrow. Relationships are expanding. Formulas are about just doing robotic acts. Relationships are about love. And God is all about relationships and love. At some point, if we aren't willing to risk, then we don't really trust. And risk has the possibility of Negative things happening, of it feeling like failure. But do we believe that God is in the midst of that as much as he is those moments that we think of as success? Do we trust him? In the end, do we believe that God is ultimately in control and that ultimately his will will be done? On earth as it is in heaven. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord God omnipotent who reigns? Do we believe that God is the master of all? And that whatever decisions we make, if we make them in a spirit of openness and trust and surrender, That however those decisions move us forward, God is present. And God is at work. And God is doing miraculous things. God's working in us and God's working through us in ways that we could have never dreamed possible because of who he is. And I am convinced that that's really what it ultimately comes down to. And instead of living in fear and anxiety and stress about these decisions, we live in freedom and joy and faith and trust. God wants the very best for us. And sometimes that's a circuitous path to get to it. But whatever path we end up taking. However, the decisions that we make lead us, if we are open to God, if we've surrendered to him, he's at work. Because the God who can take a cross and turn it into an empty tomb can do anything.
And as we come to this table this morning, this is a table of grace and power and of God with us, in us, through every moment, in every decision. And the real question is not so much, how do I know God's will? But whatever of God's will that I have discerned, will I trust him enough to keep taking steps forward? Gracious Father, thank you for who you are and for what you are doing and for what what you've done in our lives. Thank you for your leading and your guiding. Thank you for giving us freedom and joy for loving us. Lord, we pray today that you will help us to see the joy of following you and trusting you. Lord, as we come to this table, we pray that you would pour out your abundant blessing on the bread and the cup of which we're about to partake. Pray that they would be food for our souls. That we would know the joy of your grace in our lives. And that you, who take such huge risks for us, will inspire us about taking risks with you. We pray this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. And he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, we're going to receive communion by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar's always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front's difficult for you, we do have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. And we do have gluten-free wafers here and cups as well. If, you, if that's helpful to you, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ then we invite you to come and to receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. You dwell in the songs that we are singing Rising to the heavens Rising to your heart, your heart, our praises filling up the spaces in. Between.
Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Please stand as we sing. Oh, how great thy loving Kindness, faster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavished on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. No one but the grace is thine. Though the certainty of promise and have So changeless, satisfies my heart, satisfies its deepest longings, means supplies of every need, compasses me round with blessings, thine is love indeed. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now forevermore. Amen.